Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to episode number 18 of Grow Bud Yourself. We are so excited for this one. We have special guests, Dr. Mitch Earlywine and Canacraft's own Dennis Hunter. The cultivation segment is about transplanting, as well as questions and answers from listeners like you. So stick around for episode 18, brought to you by Excelsior Extracts Pain Rub and Vapor.com. All right, welcome back. And as always, thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the wonderful tune. Grow bud yourself, you guys. Yeah, speaking of which, the new logos look pretty good. Yeah, yeah, very excited about the logos. We've got uh, YouTube stuff coming out, too. Uh, lots of new stuff for the Patreon page. It's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. And we're, we're juggling all of that while putting out a, a magazine. About cannabis and the Northeast? Northeast Leaf coming out September. Yes, this September is coming out. Like a week. Yes. Yes, really excited about that. That's going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, we've been putting that all together, doing uh, podcasts. and uh, It's just grueling work. (laughs) (laughs) We're overworked. Yeah. Um, But... I would say to our listeners, uh, you might remember last week we ended up doing uh, recommendations for you guys because, um, unfortunately, our, one of our favorite guests, Dr. Mitch, was unable to uh, be on that episode. But uh, we got him on this episode, and we, we were able to talk with him about some, uh, some topics including um, depression and cannabis and uh, COVID and also our, our favorite subject, uh, whether or not cannabis is bad for your heart, as uh, CNN reported a couple of weeks ago. So what do you say we just dive right into this, uh, this little session here with Dr. Mitch? Yeah, let's talk to the doctor. All right, and uh, we are back with uh, one of our favorite guests, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Uh, professor of psychology at SUNY Albany. Um, thank you so much again for joining us, Dr. Mitch. Pleasure to be on the show. And um, listeners might remember a couple uh, shows back, we discussed a story that came out uh, that stated that cannabis was bad for your heart. And uh, Dan and I both felt very passionately about that topic, but we thought it was probably wise to get um, an expert's opinion on it. So is that something that you've had some time to look into? Indeed. And I'm, you know, I'm not a cardiologist, I'm not an MD, but I can at least walk through sort of how the reasoning behind this has gone. As you guys know, cannabis tends to increase your heart rate. And what a surprise, uh, increased heart rate does put you at risk for some cardiac uh, troubles. But the data that we're often hearing about really aren't the size of an effect that we should be freaked out by, in part because we need to start realizing that given the number of cannabis users we have on earth and the number of us who are getting on my side of 50, we should actually expect by chance a co-variation between, say, cardiac problems and cannabis use simply because there is so much more of each as baby boomers are aging. Yeah, in my rant uh, <laughs> that Mike mentioned a couple of episodes ago, I you know, I, I listed a litany of, of things that are far worse for your heart uh, than cannabis, which included, uh, you know, meat products, dairy, uh, sugar, alcohol uh, being a major one. I mean, alcohol is really awful for, for your heart. Um, all of those things being completely 100% legal. The, the list goes on and on of things that are, are, are bad for your heart. And I think cannabis uh, is pretty low on that list. And using you know that as an argument uh, against legalization or, or normalization of cannabis uses, I think just disingenuous and, and uh, really reaching 
uh, for straws, you know, uh, as far as, you know, the prohibition side goes. I mean, tobacco alone, people, you know, are so into the lung cancer literature, but tobacco in part because nicotine constricts capillaries and increases heart rate. So now you're basically taking a big hose and squeezing down on it and pushing harder. Of course, that's going to be really, really rough. And the obesogenic diet, as they're calling it now, basically the way the standard American diet, SAD, is really, really hard. And that's why cardiovascular disease is still the, the number one killer. It's uh, ironic that uh, somehow cannabis would bear the brunt of this, but it does sort of reveal how limited the arguments for prohibition have become. If they're grasping for this straw, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, the propaganda has just gotten to a level that, you know, that even they, they've given up on, on really trying at this point to, to uh, I think everyone knows it's not a question of uh, if cannabis will be legalized, but just when, as legalization moves east and into places like Oklahoma, <laughs> you know, and and things like that. I think uh, you know, and the the pandemic has been uh, a boon for that in a in a strange way because you know it's cannabis has been deemed essential. Uh, many dispensaries have remained open. Uh, delivery has become a thing now. You know. Uh, curbside pickup uh it's really it's interesting just to see the way that's playing out i never thought i would be grateful for the pandemic for anything at all but if there is a silver lining that has been a, a really nice lesson and i don't want to take it for granted that it's bound to happen i know uh you know every four years we might end up with a new administration and who knows what's going to happen next um i'm so grateful for all the progress we've made i mean in you know, 98, when I first really got outspoken in the movement, I thought, oh, 10 more years, I'm sure we'll have it, right? And it's been a long, long haul. And so we still don't have federal decriminalization even. Let's, you know, let's not rest on our laurels, so to speak, despite how much we enjoy the progress we've made. Right. Absolutely. One of the other sort of things uh, that has come about because of the pandemic uh sort of a rise in, in, in depression and uh, people sort of feeling, uh, you know, just feeling down and, and, and all of that. And you, you, you had a study that you were mentioning that actually uh, addresses that with cannabis. It's funny because my lab has been pretty outspoken about some of the problems with linking cannabis to depression in the past. And you can remember when people would say, oh, marijuana would make you depressed or some clinician would say, oh, I have to have my depressed patients quit pot because they, they just will never get over it. And the data just don't support that. A lot of those initial findings were confounded by medical users who literally had AIDS or cancer. And yeah, oh, gee, they were depressed. No kidding. But it wasn't from the cannabis, right? And when you have good longitudinal data, there really is no link. But I've also been exploring some of these new hallucinogen-related therapies for depression and realized maybe cannabis has a place in this as well. So we had a finding in my lab that the psychedelic uh, South American tea, ayahuasca, will improve depression later on. But through these mechanisms that we're accustomed to uh, having cognitive behavior therapy work through. So people, yeah, they're, they're less depressed, but it's in part because they find themselves exercising more. They find themselves re reaching out to people they haven't talked to in a while. They find themselves basically behaving in ways that are consistent with their values. And that is what, you know, improves the depression. It's not necessarily that you have this divine insight and whammo, you're no longer depressed. And one of the experiences with the hallucinogens that seems to predict good improvement is called oceanic boundlessness, which is, I feel part of the universe. I can see that there's something magical, if not sacred here on our planet. And it was funny because uh, the psilocybin researchers were treating it as if that was sort of the, the market that they had cornered. And just with self-report data, uh, mostly with edibles, folks have said that they can definitely report saying cannabis has induced that kind of thing for them. And so I feel like it may be time to talk about, you know, what would it mean to have a 10 milligram edible and a few hours to myself and nice music and some eye shades and just really focus on 
what's going on for me in a day? And then come out of that with some decisions about, am I behaving in ways that are consistent with my values? And how do I want to change my activities? I think we'd all benefit. Amazing. Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, that's the, there's a, there's a huge uh, future in using um, these plant-based medicines for treating uh, depression and for treating post-traumatic stress and, and anxiety and all these things that, you know, cannabis was said to cause. And yet <laughs> now we find is actually a medicine to, uh, to treat that thing. So, um, yeah. And it's not saying, you know, don't get psychotherapy, just, just, you know, eat a big brownie or anything. But I, I do feel like there's a, a potential role for the plant in, in that process. Yeah. And I think, you know, it has to do with a, a reset, you know, it's like something in your brain where you just reset and, and kind of start from, uh, the ground level basically, you know, and all the things that are weighing on you or that have kind of become your reality are gone in a way and, and, and you're able to move past it. And I mean, I've, I've also heard of people using this in end of life, uh, situations where they're terminal, uh, and they're scared and they're freaked out and worried and depressed and, and all the, the incredible amount of fear that must go into knowing, you know, that your, your time is limited. Uh, and then having something like, you know, a psilocybin experience or even like an intense cannabis experience can, can help them come to terms with, with what's happening. And I think that that's, you know, it, it's, it's shameful that we don't do that. Uh, and, and allow that as, as you know, for people, I think Canada just recently uh, started allowing psilocybin for our uh, end of life treatment. And I think that's very important. My student, Rachel Luba, surveyed a bunch of end of life healthcare workers just about cannabis for really any purpose. And they were all very supportive. But it was intriguing because we uh, went to one of the organizations that's uh, like we have the American Psychological Society. This is one that's all for end-of-life healthcare workers. And we asked, can we ask them if they've used cannabis? And they said, no, we don't We don't want you to ask that. So it's like, we know everybody's willing to say it's good for you, but we don't want to have to out ourselves with our own, our own use. And it, it was an interesting lesson. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Um, one of the things, you know, we always... Uh, push on on the show and I've has always been a part of my you know sort of mantra is that growing cannabis is also can be therapeutic and in the way that you're creating your own medicine uh, and you know there's kind of a there's something really special about uh, creating your own medicine and then and then consuming that medicine uh, as opposed to you know going to the store and purchasing it which is fine uh, you know and and great actually but but it's different when you actually create it yourself out of out of you know seeds and light and air and water. It's it's I call it modern day alchemy, really, because you know it, it it's it's actually you know better than gold. And you know you're turning something, you know these different elements into uh, something that's healing you and helping you. And uh, you know people develop a bond, I think, too, with their plants. And I, I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, sometimes people get really sad when when they have to harvest. <laughs> you know, and uh, so we talk about growing as a political act, but it's also a, a healing activity um, and a fun one, and 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 it's therapeutic. Well, what a neat set of lessons, right? I'm really going to have to learn about patience. I'm really going to understand that their contingencies, the plants. I can't say, hey, cut me some slack, right? Either they got what they needed or, or they didn't. And then this appreciation for development, too. I can't make it grow faster, right? I can't force it to do something it just can't do. And then the appreciation for seasonality, so you end up understanding more, even with an indoor grow, that there are certain things that are just going to ebb and flow as part of nature. And can I apply that to my own life? Yeah. I think we could all use some, uh, what is it? Oce oceanic, uh, oceanic boundlessness. Yeah. Oceanic boundlessness. <laughs> <laughs> That's my new, uh, my new, uh, thing that I'm trying to attain. I think <laughs> good mantra to have, I believe. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, 
Thank you, Dr. Mitch, for coming on the show uh, once again. Uh, why don't you let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you if they have any questions? Well, the other perhaps silver lining of the COVID uh, situation is that my lectures are now on YouTube in a Mitch Earlywine channel. And so they're uh, literally 20% of my class is all cannabis, but a whole bunch of lectures about uh, different drugs in different categories as well. And anybody is free to listen to it uh, as they see fit. I've got some uh, sample questions on Kahoot.com where you can go see if you can answer these multiple choice questions to sort of show a little mastery. And I, I'd love it if folks uh, would go check that out and you know feel free to leave me a message or subscribe or whatever you think is appropriate. Perfect. Yeah, we'll have to follow you as well. We do uh, episodes on YouTube now, uh, audio episodes, but uh, sure, they're, sure. they're all there. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Dr. Mitch. And uh, we'll be back with more Grow Bud Yourself after this. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's always great to have the doctor on the show, and we appreciate him uh, coming on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, we also have a great guest in the interview slot. Uh, it's Dennis Hunter from Canacraft, who uh, also is part of the Farmer and Felon uh, brand under Canacraft. And it's an interesting story because, uh, you know, he's paid the price uh, of cannabis prohibition and came out on the other side. Yeah, no, it's very cool. And we're, we're very excited to have him on the show. Um, what do you think? Should we just get right to that? Yeah, let's let's hear from Dennis. All right, our interview with uh, Dennis Hunter from Canacraft coming up after these messages. All right, you guys. I just want to talk really briefly about a wonderful company called Excelsior Extracts. It's our friends, the original Outcast and TOH. Uh, Excelsior is spelled E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R extracts. Uh, they have an amazing THC infused pain rub, a lot of incredible products, but the pain rub is the most effective topical I have ever used. It's because Outcast herself is a patient and she needs very, very strong um, topicals. So she makes this THC infused pain rub that absolutely works and takes away the pain. So uh, give them a follow on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts, or you can email them directly at Excelsior Extracts at gmail.com. All right, we are back and we have a very special guest with us this week. Uh, we have Dennis Hunter from Canacraft. He is the uh, co-founder of Canacraft and a longtime uh, cannabis uh, farmer. Dennis, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, let's let's go back and talk about because um, you're originally from Mendocino County, right? You're you're a Mendo Mendo boy. <clears throat> yeah, well, I was born in Humboldt County, but moved to Mendo when I was about eleven. Um, so I went to high school in Mendocino County, and kind of where I really, uh, you know, became a grower and, and, uh, really got introduced to cannabis. Right. And there's a long, long time tradition of cannabis farming, uh, in that area, Mendocino, uh, um, Trinity, uh, and Humboldt, uh, as well as surrounding counties <laughs> as well. Uh, but yeah, so you, I guess you were immersed in that at a pretty young age. Yeah, yeah, I uh, grew up, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's sort of a community of sort of loggers and and sort of kind of the hippie kind of living out on the, on the you know, with uh, solar panels out in the middle of nowhere uh, without power. And so uh, it was an interesting dynamic to grow up into. And, and it was funny, my parents were more like in the trucking industry. And so uh, it wasn't just that I, I grew up on the, in the middle of nowhere in the hills. Uh, but so many of my friends did, and it's really, I got introduced to cannabis, uh, through going and staying at friends' houses and, and walking down off the back of the hill and walking through some of the cannabis gardens. Yeah. I mean, it's such a culture, uh, of homesteading, 
uh, in farming and uh, logging that went on for many years. Uh, and, you know, people are pretty distrustful of government. And, and you know, a lot of times the, uh, you know, the cannabis is just there, I guess, just to supplement income and, and allow people to improve on their land and maybe buy it buy a truck or, you know, something like that. And I think, you know, that's a long, long tradition in that area. So, uh, so you were introduced at a young age and, and then you started uh, cultivating yourself. Yeah. So yeah, I was introducing it just what you said, you know, a lot of people, that's what supplemented them to live. They lived outside the box a little bit, just kind of um, just not hitting that nine to five, but, you know, growing their gardens out in the back of the house for all their food, but also had the canvas gardens that, like you said, might, might get them a truck one year or might help them finish up the house they're working on. And, and so, uh, you know, get into that and started seeing a lot of large cannabis gardens pretty at a pretty young age. And I came from a family that was so, so much like entrepreneurs and just like Jack of all trades. And so, I was helping my dad build houses and rebuild engines and do electrical and just a little bit of everything. And so when I got introduced to growing cannabis, it was like I'd already set up drip systems before and did a lot of the the, the kind of nuts and bolts pieces to it. So it very much came natural and and uh, instantly just fell in love with the plant, just loved walking into the garden every time that I get home from school and see that it looks like it's six inches taller and just having a that kind of just seeing the plant grow and being responsible for giving it what it needs. Uh, just, just, you know, so a lot of the same things that people do when they're, when they're growing their food for themselves and they get out in that garden and just makes you feel great inside. Absolutely. Um, and to be clear, we're talking about a time uh, before <clears throat> any kind of uh, medical marijuana or legalization or anything like that. Uh, and so I guess eventually, you know, your operations, grew larger uh, and then large enough at one point in 1998 to uh, uh, catch the eye of some law enforcement authorities. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about that situation? Yeah. So I think my first garden was in uh, 1989, um, maybe 1988. And yeah, it was a backyard cultivation, um, pretty much filled up my, my friend's backyard. And, uh, and then, like you said, I just quickly started getting out in the woods and, and building, you know, spring boxes and collecting water and, and making water tanks out of chicken wire and plastic and, and basically running drip line around to the sunny side of the hill and, and putting plants in the manzanita and, and just literally out in the middle of nowhere, just kind of putting it together that way. Um, and just one thing led to another and, uh, and just started getting, you know, a larger and larger grows and, I really loved the challenge of it all. And so at one point in the kind of mid to late 90s, uh, uh, just went up to, back up to Humboldt and uh, put together a couple large outdoor grows and, and, a, and a very large indoor grow. And at uh, one point, uh, kind of ran into some DEA agents that were walking down the, the dirt road three th after three lock gates. And... Um, at one point, I tried to put him under citizen's arrest, and you can kind of imagine how that worked out. <laughs> yeah, uh, wow. Uh, and, and I guess you ended up going on the run, actually, for a while uh, until they basically caught up with you, and, and you served six and a half years in prison in a federal jail? Yeah, yeah. So at the time, um, uh, once they pulled their necklaces out and their guns, I took off and ran off the side of the road. And, and then when I went, got an attorney and started talking about my case and found out it was a federal indictment and I was looking at it so much time, they were just kind of like, man, you're too young. You just got a new daughter. Like, you know, the, the feds just do not play fair. And they hand out so much time. You're better off just wait till it's legal um, and go to Canada or something. So, so I uh, became a fugitive uh, my name was Josh Abrams for four and a half years um, and uh, just went through a whole nother life and just all kinds of different adventures and crazy times. And uh, but eventually um, they caught up with me and I got arrested uh, and ended up getting sentenced to six and a half years in federal prison. 
Wow. Yeah. All of this over a, you know, a, a healing flower. It's just insane. But, uh, you get out and, um, you obviously, you know, you can't go right back to growing cannabis, uh, when you're on parole and probation and all those things. Uh, but you did end up, uh, starting a, a garden supply company, like a high, you know, you, 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 you got into the hydroponics industry. Yeah. It's kind of like, what do I do? You know, and it's like, uh, I've been growing cannabis for 20 something years by that time. And, and, uh, it was getting out. And, um, and so I, I kind of knew what growers needed and all the supplies and things that I used and, and tried to improve on them and come up with different designs and different products and started selling them. I started off going store to store, selling off, selling certain products, uh, with geopots and then, um, I started a company, uh, making nutrients called cutting edge solutions while I was, uh, while I was on the run. And, uh, one of my best friends, uh, uh, he kept it going the whole time I was in prison. So, um, and now it's kind of one of the largest, uh, nutrient companies in, in the U S uh, for, yeah. for hydroponics. And, uh, yeah, I'm and well then, aware of it. Uh, actually. We, we started, uh, Turpinator, um, which, uh, you know, increases the terpenes on the plants and, had trellis netting and just all kinds of different uh, products that I started coming out with. And so at first kind of out there repping it myself and sales reps. And then um, pretty soon I started a, you know, a distribution company that started distributing it all over the world. Right. And that's how you met uh, your partner there in business, Ned Fussell, right? Yeah. 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 He was one of my best customers. <laughs> uh, he, I great. guess he just didn't want to go to the stores. He wanted to go straight to the source and get the best deal possible because he was probably buying more supplies than most of my biggest stores I was selling to. <laughs> wow. All right. And um, so, you know, you couldn't you couldn't dig holes. So you, you started selling shovels uh, and then you met Ned and you guys joined forces, uh, and created Canacraft. Um, tell me a little bit about the, the, the early days of Canacraft. And I think was, was care by design was, was one of your first big products, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, selling shovels, uh, I was also looking in at the industry, just seeing it start to develop, you know, and, and how everything was, was sort of moving and started to see a few brands developing in the cannabis space. And, since I was in that hydroponic space, I developed probably five or six different brands and kind of went through the exercises of, of marketing brands and things like that. So um, just seeing how extracted cannabis was just taking a bigger role, you know, and it, it was kind of eating away at the market share of, of a lot of the flower and becoming more popular just uh, for, for several reasons, for being able to formulate and dose very accurately and and for sort of just people that they didn't want the stigma of, you know, rolling a joint and, and wanted something a little more discreet. And so, um, so we got together with, uh, with some friends and, and one of them, uh, Martin Lee with project CBD, and he was really touting how, how valuable, uh, CBD was and how it worked really well with THC. And so, um, so we, talked to him and came up with uh, some formulations that he thought would really be helpful for people that were uh, using cannabis for medicinal purposes and how a lot of people just having the different, uh, the different dosages and the different ratios of CBD and THC really gave people uh, a way to, you know, use some cannabis uh, when maybe they weren't that comfortable with, you know, THC and the psychoactive effects of THC and kind of, you know, kind of ramp them up into using more and more THC until they kind of found a spot that they were comfortable with. Um, and so we, uh, we launched care by design and we had to start our own analytical lab in our, in our manufacturing site to basically test it and formulate and things like that. So all of a sudden we had scientists in the room and, and so very quickly it got pretty intricate and, and it was a lot of fun. We got learned a lot about the cannabinoids and, and all the different uh, uh, terpenes and flavonoids and things like that, which was really interesting to see all the different effects that they had. Yeah, it's really amazing. And, and, you, and since then, you guys have built quite a family of brands uh, under the Canacraft name. I mean, you've got uh, Absolute Extracts, 
uh, you know, some of the finest cartridges. Uh, Care by Design, you mentioned. We had uh, Elise McDonough on the show uh, recently. Yeah, uh, yeah she's great. Yeah, she's a longtime colleague and friend uh, of ours uh, from High Times and, and, you know, certainly an expert on, on the edibles. And she talked about Satori um, chocolates and, and, and her work with you guys doing that. Um, and now you've also launched Farmer and the Felon, uh, which is an actual flower brand uh, that's available in dispensaries all throughout California. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, Farmer <clears throat> and the Felon? Yeah, this is a brand that's just a lot of fun. It was something that we really wanted to kind of tell the story uh, about Cannacraft and the founders and and also have a brand that we could really tell the story about the history of cannabis and all the rocky roads that it's been through and and the people that the like i have have had served time over cannabis or people that are serving time right now over cannabis and really use it uh for awareness for for the the industry um and pay some homage to some of those people and tell some of those stories there some of them are just these amazing stories of of people kind of working their way through this industry that it's not always the easiest industry to be in. Um, yeah, there's so many ups and downs, and and uh, we always kind of laugh about uh, you know a year in cannabis is like 20 years, kind of like dog years. Um, so uh, uh, and so in this uh, brand, um, we're we're really able to do that and do some good and get some people out of prison, change laws, and and kind of use it as a platform to to share um, a lot of stories and raise money. And things like that to to make change in the industry, right? And you guys actually partnered with uh, Last Prisoner Project, uh, who are also friends of the podcast, uh, and so a portion of the proceeds from Farmer and the Felon actually goes to Last Prisoner Project to to get prisoners released, uh, nonviolent yeah, yeah. cannabis prisoners, of which you were one, which is uh, amazing. And uh, you know, I know there's a lot of sort of equity programs. Um, kind of built into some of these laws and and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't but it is important that uh, you know the people that that did the time and and suffered and and really were abused by this war on cannabis actually can benefit from uh, you know the legal landscape and like you said the the fact that there's still prisoners in legal states that are locked up for nonviolent cannabis offenses is it's just outrageous yeah, um, it's totally outrageous, and it's really time for us not to be patient and not w- wait for the government to come around to, to change it. It's only going to happen if we really get people out there and, and really demand change. And and so, and so it's not just the people that get locked up. It's, you know, it's their families and the, the lives that, that it affects. Um, you know, for, for me, I had, the, I had my daughter and my son I was away from for six and a half years, and, uh, you know, it ruins marriages and, and different things. So uh, you know, it's it's those families where a lot of times the bread earners is not able to do that anymore. And these families have to fend for themselves and, and kids don't grow up with fathers or mothers and stuff. And so, um, you know, the, the, the real effect of the war on drugs, it's so much more than just the people that are in jail. Absolutely. And and it's not just the time that, that, that you spent in jail, but also the, the four and a half or so years of, of being on the run and looking over your shoulder and not knowing, you know, not being able to tell people your real name. And it really is just outrageous. Um, and so you guys have this hashtag cannabis for change as well. I think, um, the message is really important, but the message, uh, is only received, I think because of the quality of the product as well. I think, um, you guys go above and beyond, uh, as far as, quality control and i think it's so important and i don't know does that harken back to your time you know in the emerald triangle and mendo growing up with just you know high quality strains grown properly yeah it's uh, i mean it's that it's also being in the industry this long we have so many friends and great growers and we're in this area in the emerald triangle where uh there are so many of them are and so we're really able to source from these really great farms we have uh a, Rachel Smith, uh, who's the brand manager, who really, really is uh, uh, wanting to put the very best cannabis into each bag of Farmer and the Felon and, and really get, you know, growers involved as well as 
as as the the people that are consuming it and so you know we we get some growers that also been in jail before or or they know somebody that has and they've been through you know hiding from helicopters and doing a lot of these things so the the cultivators as well sometimes want to put their very best flower in the brand because they want to support the brand that way so it's kind of one of those things where we not only get the the people that are growing it involved we get the consumers involved by by uh, putting their money towards a product that that is that is really trying to change the industry so um and and as, and as well the dispensaries that are carrying it a lot of them uh, are very passionate about um you know cannabis for change yeah awesome yeah so as someone who you know has been a cultivator for a long time uh worked in the you know uh hydroponics industry as you have and now uh doing what you're doing um what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that growers make uh you know out there just the home growers or even some of the the larger uh farmers yeah you know i think sometimes it's uh more is not always better um and so i think that's um one of the biggest mistakes i've watched over the years is just all of the different additives and nutrients and just everything that you can put on a plant and i and i just watched it just seem like the plants just are so confused and and it's just like everything is good everything's going to make it grow faster everything's going to make it get bigger um and it's just amazing how resilient the plant is um with so little um and and so uh that would be one of the biggest mistakes is just you know try this try that and having people you know using a 13 part nutrient <laughs> blend um or or just just you know literally um, they they see one garden he uses that and the next friend uses this and and so I think just people overdoing it with all the different additives is what I've seen people really suffer for and it seems like the plants start to get affected and and it's one problem after another after that happens. Yeah, yeah, I, it's something I harp on a lot too is the overfeeding and you know you see burnt leaf tips even the beautiful beautiful flowers and then those leaf tips are burnt and you kind of know that there's a. So there's a little extra in those flowers that doesn't need to necessarily be there. Um, you guys also partnered up with Lagunitas, one of our favorite uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> beer brewing companies. Uh, tell what me a great a partner bit. to have, right? Someone yeah. brings beer over every time they come to visit. <laughs> yeah, and like every beer, it's like two beers. They're like seven or eight <laughs> percent. Those beers, they're very strong and amazing. And you guys actually created an alcohol-free uh, IPA style cannabis beer yeah yeah well we did a few things with them you know they used to come over every thursday and play around in the lab and and uh and we'd go over there and visit their little pub house and um but uh we started out we we were, we were just extracting some hops uh terpenes from some hops for them and uh and it came out really well because we really try to preserve those terpenes in cannabis and a lot of the terpenes they were getting from some of the hop extraction people they just don't care like we do with cannabis. And so they were really surprised. And then uh, and we gave them some cannabis terpenes. They went and made some beer with it. Um, and we tried to launch that uh, at first. And uh, I can't remember what's the TSP. I can't remember what regulates them, but uh, they told them, oh, no, we, you can't be doing that. You can't put anything from a cannabis plant in beer. Um, so we had to stop that project. But we put some, some hops terpenes in some cannabis cartridges. And it was like smoking an IPA. Um, and then we th they said, oh, we really want to have, you know, this. They were doing this uh, IP-inspired hop water, IPA-inspired hop water. And so uh, that's where we came up, uh, you know, with with the Hi-Fi hops. And uh, we put uh, we put the cannabis into that hop water and just made a really delicious uh, IPA-inspired cannabis drink. That has no calories and no carbohydrates and and is literally healthy uh healthy drink so um and it's been really popular and is one of the top selling ready ready to drink cannabis drinks in in the in california <laughs> that is amazing <laughs> i love lagunitas and everything they do and uh i think that's really great when uh you know the when you guys can get together with them and, and, you know, they can play around with some terpenes and we can play around with some hops and, and, uh, really kind of come up with something new and interesting. 
Uh, and that sounds amazing. I mean, a healthy, uh, carb-free cannabis beer. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was really fun last year at uh, Outside Lands. Uh, we were we were able to sail it at Outside Lands in what they called Grasslands. It was kind of a regulated area um, it, at the at the festival there, and uh, we we had a big booth and just lines around the around the whole little area. Of, of people coming and getting um, uh, cannabis, a uh, hi-fi drink, and watching the festival. And it was really interesting to see what could come in the future uh, with cannabis drinks and people, you know, uh, socializing, which a lot of times people like to socialize with, you know, a drink in their hand. And to think about a non-alcoholic drink uh, being used in that same way, it was really neat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it, you know, it also goes to one of the focuses I see, you know, with Canacraft is that you guys are really all about um, consumer safety, um, having safe and effective cannabis lab testing, um, proper extraction methods that uh, allow for, you know, kind of, you know, the full spectrum of of plant medicine. Uh, You guys also do advocacy as well on a state and federal level. And I know uh, that you're involved with Headcount and the Cannabis Voters Project as well. Um, tell me just a little bit about like what sets Canacraft branded products apart. You know, as far as those things go, your your you know brand mentality. Yeah, you know, I think what it sets it apart is you know we're in it every day. We're not just making products uh, just to sell products. We're we're kind of from the industry. We really uh, we really care about the industry and what it turns out to be like. Uh, I love coming to work every day and being in the cannabis space. Um, and so with that comes like really trying to set the industry up, you know, to be a healthy industry and not really lose the cannabis culture that is so important to all of us. Um, and, and so in caring about that culture, trying to preserve it, um, I think we just go about things a different way and, and we, you know, we're trying to change the stigma around cannabis um and and really let people that could benefit from it um have a safe place to to get access to it that's awesome um i also noticed you guys have a store locator on the website uh which is canacraft.com uh is that the best place for people to go to find out where they can find uh you know farmer and the felon flowers or abx uh uh yeah you can definitely that's the best place because there you can link to any of our other um, websites with the other brands as well. Wow. That's really amazing. Um, I think you have, uh, you know, a really incredible, you know, uh, roster of brands, uh, at Canacraft, a great team of people. And, uh, you know, you guys are on the right side of history. You're, you know, the comp, the type of company I want to support, uh, in this industry. And, uh, you know, of course, care by design is just an incredible, uh, CBD line as well. Um, Got to try some of this Hi-Fi hops. This sounds amazing. And then tell me a little bit about Loud and Clear. I like, I like. This is like a, a another extract brand, right? Yeah. So Loud and Clear. Uh, so we're adding in some light resin um, into some some high potency distillate, um, and just getting some of. Uh, we have a team that just really does a great job in formulation and just getting really a lot of those terpene notes. Um, from the live resin um, at, added in in just the right levels where um, you get a really great effect and, and the taste is unbelievable. That's awesome. That is awesome. So uh, thank you very much, Dennis, for coming on the show. Uh, please give out uh, you know the social media and websites for people. I think if people just search for Canacraft, they're going to find everything, right? Yeah, I can't everything. If you search Canacraft, you find everything. I'm not a huge social media person, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm probably the worst person to list them off. Well, thank you for everything that you do uh, and really appreciate uh, what you've also been able to put together with this company and all of your sacrifices for cannabis freedoms. Um, so I uh, appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Dennis. All right. Well, hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you guys and uh, keep up the good work. All right, we have reached the cultivation segment. We have indeed. Thank you to uh, to Dennis Hunter for joining us on the show. 
Absolutely. Yeah, very interesting stuff going on over at Canacraft. Yeah, no, really interesting. We've actually, we had a couple of Canacraft folks in a row now, coincidentally. That's right. We had Elise last week and now Dennis. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're not paying us or anything, but if they wanted to, that would be fine. <laughs> we'll take their money if, if they yeah. want to give us some. Awesome. Well, listen, now I want to help teach people how to grow their own. Oh, so and wait, is this the time in the show when you tell people about a grow topic that will help them grow better cannabis? That's right. What's your topic for this week? Transplanting. Tell us more. <laughs> I will. <laughs> All right. First, you got to know when to transplant your plants. Okay. You do not want plants to be root bound for any sort of period of time. So uh, this is important because the size of your container is directly related to the size of your final uh, plant size. So, you know, they say the bigger the root, the bigger the fruit. Uh, You got to give the roots room to breathe. And uh, like I said, you know, the bigger the container uh, the bigger your yield will be. So uh, root-bound plants are not good. Um, again, you don't want to transplant too late in the cycle either. And if your plant's been root-bound for a long period of time and you transplant, that plant is going to go through a series of shock uh, reactions. First being, you know, the roots are going to maybe try to stay within that same container size. You know, once you even transplant them, they won't actually delve into the new um, material there. Um, and, you know, it's just a shock in general. You can always give about a week uh, or so of time after you transplant for your plant to actually recover from that, even if you do it very gently. Um, again, I do not recommend transplanting during the flowering stage because of that shock and because of the time that it takes and, and the recovery and all of that. Um, but If your plant is super duper root bound and it's flowering, it will benefit from a transplant. Uh, But you want to try to avoid that. So in a perfect world, you know, if you're trying to grow, you know, uh, for a veg time of about a month, I recommend about a five gallon size container. But you don't have to start in the five gallon container. You start in a one gallon. Um, You can start in a little jiffy cup or, or, or a smaller, you know, 16 ounce cup. Uh, during the vegetative stage and then transplant out of that into the one gallon you can transplant a few times if you'd like i don't really recommend it i think if you go from the one gallon into the five gallon you're usually pretty good but there's a few things you need to know uh first before you do this um step one has nothing to do with the plant you're trying to transplant but has to do with your new container and you want to have that prepared Uh, so that five gallon bucket or 10 gallon bucket or whatever it might be uh, you want to have that ready to go Um, you want to fill it with the the growing medium about halfway or so depending on the size of your one gallon container Uh, but you want to basically be able to sit that one gallon container down in there on top of your new grow medium and then backfill it on the sides first step is to prepare that new container so you know leave space for your your root ball uh, and more grow medium uh, but cover the bottom with your soil mix Uh, second step is to wet the soil of your existing you know container Uh, you do not want to transplant a plant in a dry medium because basically a lot of the medium is going to fall off uh, and you risk damaging a lot of the roots if you do that so get it nice and soaked uh, thoroughly and make sure you know it's very well soaked before you attempt to transplant this will keep that whole root ball from falling apart and that can be kind of a tragedy uh, and a lot more shock than you were prepared for Um, Then you want to remove that plant from its pot. So once it's thoroughly moistened, uh, some people will flip the container upside down uh, while holding the, you know, the base of the the plant where the, you know, the main stem or uh, main trunk reaches the soil mix. Um, So you hold that, you flip the container upside down, you might have to tap it on the bottom and the sides just to release it. but just do this very gently. You don't want a disaster where the whole root ball falls apart. Um, that could be really bad and set you back. Um, so, you know, hold your hand over that uh, plant and, and, and that soil mix. Uh, then gently place it into 
the new container uh, root ball down obviously into your container and situate it the way you want it to be centered in that uh, in that container with that grow medium beneath it and then fill up the remaining space in the container there's going to be uh, a lot of room on the sides uh, to fill up with soil I like to also gently kind of uh, you know ruffle up the roots a little bit uh, loosen them up uh, so that they will actually go into that new container um, you do this gently but you can do it um, you basically just loosen the bottom you know two uh, bottom third or so of soil where those roots are depending on how root bound it is um, just to loosen them up a little bit and get them ready to go into that new grow medium uh, and then basically uh, water it all in uh, use plain pH balanced water you don't need to add nutrients at this point there's plenty in that mix uh, to begin with so just water that in uh, you might see that like there's pockets of air and some of the soil will will get sucked down into those pockets of air just refill with soil water it in and uh, put that back under the lights and you have transplanted within hopefully less than a week you'll see the plant start growing uh, new shoots and, and leaves and branches again and now you'll be situated in that larger container and you'll have room for those roots to spread out and grow you much bigger plants so there you have it uh transplantation when and how all right very good info on transplanting definitely something that uh that's going to help you out with your grow uh what do you say we answer some questions now from our listeners if you have a question that you would like answered on this show uh, you could reach us uh, by email that is info at growbudyourself.com uh, also on socials, he is at Danny Danko. I am at Mike Check G. The show is at Grow Bud Yourself. Uh, what do you say we jump into this? Yeah, let's do it. We've been getting questions from everywhere: Patreon, uh, YouTube, and uh, you know, email and socials. So many questions, so little time. Uh, let's start out with Doctor Smokes Too Much, who writes: uh, First off, I love you guys. You're my go-to podcast when it comes to quote taking off my question is aimed at your last guest and how she described edibles i love the thought of getting nice and toasty but for some reason my metabolism doesn't allow me is there any alternative i've tried rso that's a rick simpson oil as well and it just seems to be a light buzz even at high doses uh so what would you say to dr smokes too much <laughs> yeah it's interesting um We've met a few people over the years who just seem unaffected by edibles. Uh, our old colleague Malcolm McKinnon, at high times, he would eat edible after edible, and and uh, they would not get him high. Uh, it's I think some people's uh, metabolism and tolerance level, or just the way that their body processes uh, cannabis edibles, that uh, brain and blood barrier, uh, is just not set up for them or something i don't know it's weird uh but every once in a while you meet someone who just can't be affected by edibles um i don't know you know i would try um you know sublingual drops uh tincture drops that you can take uh either alcohol tincture or a glycerin tincture um there's also you know gel caps and things like that but I, I, it's it's a tough one because like i said we've met people who seem completely unaffected by edibles entirely. Um, what do you think, Mike? I mean, I guess just keep on trying. You know? <laughs> uh, there, there might be a, a moment, a breakthrough moment, but if yeah, not... Yeah, I mean, um, it seems weird because RSO is very strong, and if you, mm -hmm. if you do that and just get a light buzz from more than half a gram, uh, then, you know, I guess maybe those things just don't affect you and your tolerance is, is so great that uh, you can't feel it. Well, fortunately, there are other ways to consume cannabis, and uh, judging by your username here, you've figured some of them out, so, um, you know, we hope you eventually are affected by edibles, but until then, continue smoking. Uh, we'll yeah, I mean, I would also say, nope, why not more. try suppositories? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, there you go, buddy. Dan, uh, Dan hey, says, try If you're at your wit's end, you know what mm -hmm. I mean, and you're looking for a solution, maybe... There it is. Maybe mm -hmm. it was behind you all the time. Oh, my. Yes. Okay. 
So suppositories are on the table if uh, if you're interested in that. Um, what do you say we move on to Chad, who writes, uh, I'm wondering if the water I use to spray my plants needs to be pH balanced, or does any old water work? I know I should leave water out 24 hours to let chlorine evaporate, but after that, uh, is any water good enough to spray your plants on fan leaves in veg as well as in flower? I'm worried about moisture levels getting too high once I'm in flower. Uh, what would you say to Chad? Yeah, I would say uh, it really depends on your water. If 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 you know if you've tested it uh, and it's usually you know in acceptable levels, basically between like five point five and six point five or so, uh, then I wouldn't really worry about it too much. But if you're using uh, water that fluctuates in pH, then I would always test it. And it makes sense to test it once in a while anyways, even if you think it's uh, not going to affect your plants. Because if it is out of whack, way too high or way too low, uh, even with spraying it onto your leaves, it's going to have a bad effect. Um, and as far as spraying during veg, 100% spray during veg, I would uh, ease up during flower. I would not uh, do foliar feeding or spraying during flowering once the plants have actually started forming flowers just because uh to me again just like you're worried about moisture levels i'd be worried as well and i don't want those buds absorbing water and uh risking you know uh having powdery mildew or bud rot or any kind of mold issues okay well, there you go we hope that helps you out there chad uh let's move on to jeff who uh writes i have a question about hemp pollination I recently cropped out a couple of autoflowers that were outdoors, but they got hit hard by what I believe is pollen from the local hemp farms around my area. A few of them were completely full of seeds. I'm talking hundreds of seeds. Uh, what are your thoughts about seeds that come from this? Are they going to be any good or are they garbage? If hemp did pollinate them, uh, what kinds of genetics will I see from them? Should I even bother with growing outdoors in the future, or should I try building a greenhouse and keeping the air coming into the greenhouse as clean as I can. Also, my photo plants are just starting to flower now. Uh, do you think they'll be subject to getting pollinated too? Wow. Yeah, interesting question. And this is something uh, growers have been talking about for years. We've been wondering, you know, what's going to happen when there's all this pollen flying around uh, from hemp farms and from other cannabis farms? And, uh, you know, pollen can travel for miles and miles uh, on the wind. So it really doesn't take a lot of pollen to infest these plants. And as far as those seeds, you're asking if they'd be any good or are they garbage? I mean, they're almost entirely likely to be completely garbage um, because of being pollinated by hemp plants, unless what you're looking for is a hemp, you know, autoflower hybrid, um, which most people aren't, <laughs> you know, particularly if you're growing uh, for THC level. So, uh, the seeds are probably worthless. I wouldn't really expect much to come of them. Uh, now, as far as growing outdoors in the future, I like your idea of building a greenhouse and filtering the air that's coming in. That will definitely help you uh, for sure in lots of different ways, including, you know, hopefully keeping that uh, hemp pollen out. Um, your photo plants are just starting to flower now. Uh, maybe it's too late for them to be pollinated by the hemp flower, uh, the hemp pollen. Uh, it's possible uh, because your autos were pollinated. That means that the pollen was, you know, at its height at that time. Maybe they've gone past that level, and you know, those hemp hemp plants could even be already harvested. I don't really know the situation, um, but if the hemp plants are still in the field and there's still male plants out there uh, spreading pollen, then that's a distinct possibility that your uh, photo period plants will also be affected. Um, now, if those hemp plants have already been harvested or are approaching harvest and and past their you know pollination stage, then maybe your photo plants will be better off. But I like the idea of uh, building the greenhouse and filtering the air coming in. Uh, that's going to help you in a lot of different ways. It, it extends your season. It protects your plants from the elements. And it gives you that, like, you know, the greenhouse effect where, you know, it's warmer inside that greenhouse and, and the plants will thrive. So I would say go with that and, uh, you know, try to protect your plants from that pollen. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff also uh, has a PS here where he says, um, I need a good username, help. So I guess we'll have to, we'll have to contemplate that. 
<laughs> uh, one problem at a time. So uh, thank you, Jeff. Uh, let's we have time for one more. Let's move on to Austin Powers, who writes, uh, "Hi, Danny and Mike. Thank you guys for doing such a fun show to listen to every week, full of valuable info for the first-time grower such as myself. Uh, I'm from St. Louis." Missouri has recently legalized medicinal cannabis. I got my card and cultivation authorization this year, so I'm growing three feminized seeds, Hulkberry, White Widow, and Gorilla Skittles, in a 2x2 tent with a 600-watt Mars Hydro white light LED. I used Burpee organic seed starter mix in solo cups, and I transplanted into three-gallon bags filled with Fox Farm Ocean Forest and extra perlite mixed in. I also have Fox Farm Nutrient Trio, and the lights have been on an 18-6 cycle. Uh, all three have been growing pretty well, but I have two questions for you. Is the light I'm using for this run, the 600-watt white light, which does not dim, is that light too intense for seedlings and veg plants? Uh, should it be a light I use just for flowering, or is it fine to use during veg? My second question is, I've heard you talk about the CO2 bags to hang above plants, uh, will getting one of those help my plants with the light intensity? And will a CO2 bag in a 2x2 tent oversaturate the air in the tent with too much CO2? So uh, what would you say to Austin? All right. Well, thank you, Austin. I would say um, the 600-watt LED is not uh, – I wouldn't say it's too strong for your seedlings, too intense for seedlings and vegging plants. Um, you know, you obviously want to keep it a little bit further away. Um but if you did switch and had like fluorescence over your seedlings uh, and even, you know, vegging plants and then and then you put them under this 600, you're going to have a period of time when they're adjusting to that. So if they grow under that as seedlings and veg plants um, and then you switch that cycle from 18 to 6 into flowering and they're already accustomed to that light, I think you'll be better off because you won't have that uh, transitionary period where they go from fluorescent to your LED as far as the CO2 bags, um, extra CO2 does help plants deal with higher temperatures. So if the temperature of your light is intense, um, that's one thing. But light intensity itself, uh, lumen amounts, not so much. So if it's hot in, in the tent and you add CO2, the plants will be more uh, better adjusted to the higher temperatures. But if it's... Uh, it's just light intensity. I don't think it really matters. Um, what happens is the plant is just able to process more CO2 and it grows bigger and quicker um, with more CO2 in the air. And as far as a CO2 bag in a 2x2 two two tent, um, I don't think you're going to oversaturate the air. What's cool about the bags is that they release CO2 slowly. Um, you, you know, you want about 1,500 or so parts per million. Um, oversaturation is like 3000 or more. And, and, and that's more of an issue when you're using a generator or a tank. Um, but luckily when you're doing that, you have a regulator to actually test, um, and know exactly the parts per million. So, um, there's not really much of a threat from the CO2 bags or the like mushroom kind of kits that people have. Those are meant to slowly disperse CO2 over the period of 60 or so days, um, rather than, you know, pump out a ton of CO2 all at once. Um, so you're safe with the two by two tent and the CO2 bag, as long as it's not, you know, something that's made for a much larger space, which most of them are not because in a larger space, you're going to have the tank or the regulator, um, or the generator. So yeah, I would say just stick with the light that you have that 600 watt, uh, uh, Mars hydro led, uh, and feel free to add the CO2 bags, um, and just be aware of uh, light intensity uh, and keeping the light a little bit further away from your seedlings and veg plants and a little closer to your flowering plants. Okay, very good. Uh, thank you, Austin. We appreciate you listening, and thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Uh, if you have a question that you would like answered on this show, uh, go ahead and send it to us. Uh, the best way is email. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, what do you say we take a little break, come back, and then wrap this up? with a bow. All right, so is this the wrap? It's wrap time, man. Awesome. I'm going to use a raw paper and wrap it all up. 18 episodes. That's right. Yeah. Gosh. And in, in like 
a month or something. And it feels like it's been a very short period of time. It's true. It's true because we do one weekly. Right. It's amazing. As opposed to every three months or so. Right. As we used to. Well, we couldn't do it without our sponsors. Uh, Excelsior Extracts, Pain Rub, uh, Vapor.com. Use that GBY code to get 15% off of everything there. Um, of course, DJ Jacques and Winstrong. Thank you to Dr. Mitch Earlywine and to Dennis Hunter from Canacraft. Um, thank you to Sweetleaf Nutrients for always hooking us up. Uh, yeah, please check us out on uh, patreon.com slash Danny Danko, YouTube, SoundCloud, all the, all the places. We're everywhere now. So um, check us out, sign up, subscribe, rate, share, tell your buddies uh, and friends and family. We will be back next week with more Grow Bud Yourself. <laughs>